You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, that is fine. The Bible that's there in the pew is for you to use today. And if you don't have a Bible or have someone in your life who needs one, the Bible that's there in the pew is yours to take as our gift to you. You can also use your phone. The instructions are on the screen. If you follow them, it'll open up you right to the scripture that we're looking at. If, again, you haven't been with us before, if you're new here today or haven't been here in a couple of weeks or months, we want to just let you know where we are. We have been spending the year 2017 in this book, which is called The Story. It is a 31 condensed narrative of the entirety of the story of Scripture. It's part of our way of reading through the whole Bible in a year. And we're just about done. So this, is a, this has been sort of guiding our specific Scriptures that we're looking at. And today, we're in chapter 27. If you haven't been reading, that's okay. I will catch you up. Last week, we were wrestling with the largeness, the fullness of the message of the cross. Last week was about the cross. And that message, we needed to kind of expand it. We needed to see it more fully because it's a message, as we talked about last week, we tend to shorthand and therefore shortchange. So much more than Jesus died to forgive our sins so we could go to heaven when we die. The Bible's declaration. And the fullness of the gospel message is God in Christ willingly sacrificed himself to save the universe, the world, to redeem, to reconcile, and restore all creation, including us, to make the world as it was intended to be. This is the full message of the cross, and it is wonderful. It's an unexpected, life-changing start, and we celebrated that last week together. It's good news, yes, But today, as we gather, it is not good enough. One inescapable and daunting obstacle still remains as we turn the page from chapter 26 to 27 in the story. And that obstacle is death. We gathered last week and talked about Friday, the Friday when Jesus died. On Friday, Jesus died. And the day after Friday, the promised Messiah had become like everyone else does, like we all do eventually, a cold, lifeless body covered with linen and buried in a tomb. By all appearances, for those who were first there, the story was over. With no pulse, with no breath in him, Jesus had no more life to give. And for them, if Jesus' story was over, then their story was over too. I mean, prophets, priests, and kings couldn't save them. The temple and the law both failed to defeat sin and evil and bring them back to God. And now, their last best hope, the last best hope of the world for them and for salvation is lost. Understand the mindset on Saturday. If death is the consequence of sin, and Jesus is dead, then Jesus may be able to forgive sins, but Jesus can't stop the ultimate power of sin. If evil seeks to destroy and take life, and Jesus has died, 
then the love of Christ may rival the reach of evil, but it cannot break its grasp. If this is where the story ends, at Calvary, at the cross, it is a disappointing and unfulfilling finish. But of course, we gather here this morning, we are together because we know what those who were first there didn't. Not yet. We know what was still coming. We know who was coming back better than ever. Today, my friends, we're talking about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gloriously shocking revelation that Jesus is alive. That Christ is risen from the grave. Now back when it first happened, the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus was difficult for many people to honestly believe. And still today, 2,000 years later, the resurrection of Christ remains, for many, an impossible leap of faith, still beyond what most people are prepared to accept. Nonetheless, if you have those Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul writes, as we'll read in just a moment, the resurrection of Christ isn't some take-it-or-leave-it part of the story. It's not an optional extra in terms of what we believe about Jesus. It's more than a footnote to the rest of the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul writes, is the event upon which everything else we believe and profess rests. In other words, it all comes down to this. Hear it from the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even desire or deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found then to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, we're going to to reflect on why so many of us leave out the best part of the story. And second, we're going to ensure, we're going to consider to ensure how we aren't missing out on experiencing the best part of the story. And without a doubt, this is everyone's favorite part of the story. It's what we like to call the good part. This is the good part, right? I mean, this part of the story is so good, people who otherwise don't regularly worship on the weekend, aren't part of a church community, don't have time, can't seem to make it on Sunday, this part is so good, people will make time. They will find a church community and actually show up for this, for Easter. That's how good this part of the story is. In fact, we might say the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best part of the story. Amen? Yeah? Right? And yet, we say that, and, and yet, ironically, practically, oddly, this is the part of the story we tend to overlook, even leave out of our presentation of the gospel message. If you remember back to last week, and if you weren't with us, okay, it's okay, I'm going to review it. If you remember back to last week, we have this standard shorthand presentation of the gospel that we kind of use, and it goes something like this. Because I can't live up to God's standards, his top 10, the 10 commandments, the law, Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. If I accept that, if I believe and embrace what Jesus did for me, I am saved. Saved from death and sent to heaven for eternal life. That's our standard shorthand version of the gospel that we've heard, that we share with others. But notice what's missing. There's no talk of Jesus' resurrection. There's no talk of knowing and believing that Jesus rose from the grave, that Jesus lives. Certainly it's implied, right? It's implied by this idea of going to heaven when we die. But isn't it interesting The resurrection of Jesus is not explicitly stated as something to know and believe in the standard Christian presentation of the gospel. Think about it. Ask yourself, when you share Jesus with another person, where do you put the emphasis? On Jesus' forgiveness of one's sins on the cross or on Jesus' resurrection from the dead? I don't know about you, but the majority of people that I hear put their emphasis on the cross and on Jesus' forgiveness of sins, and they don't ever talk about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. My friends, more often than not, we're leaving out the best part of the story, right? And, And to do so is dangerous, it's troubling, because to leave out the best part of the story can actually lead someone to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't that big of a deal or at least not as important as Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, based upon how we tend to frame the story, in order to be forgiven, in order to be saved, to get to heaven, do I need to believe Jesus died for me? Or do I need to believe Jesus rose from the dead too? Can I believe one without the other? Think about our standard shorthand gospel presentation. It would seem to imply I can believe Jesus died for me, 
But I don't necessarily have to believe he rose again. This, for many people, you, and even people who've just become indoctrinated with our message, that shorthand version, they'll repeat back the dying part, but not the resurrection part. And again, this sort of implies that the most important part is the cross. But you heard it, and it's not just Paul. Not just according to Paul, but according to the whole biblical witness, the validity of the whole story hangs not on the cross. The validity of our whole story hangs on the resurrection. All the promises God made to us, all of the, the plans the Lord put in motion for us are proven true, are fulfilled, if and only if Jesus rises from the dead. Our faith, our witness as tellers of the story, sharers of this story, this gospel about Jesus stands or falls on the resurrection. It's the cornerstone of our message. It's the baseline of our salvation song. It's the seedbed of the dawn of a new heavens and a new earth. If the resurrection happened, if Jesus conquered the grave, all of this and everything else we profess about the gospel, who Jesus is, why Jesus came, what he accomplished for us is true. But if the resurrection didn't happen, then our story is a myth. Our story is a fable. Our story is a pipe dream, a fantasy, a fairy tale. And our witness to this story is a lie. It's a deception. It's a fraud. It's a misunderstanding. It's a religious crutch. It's idealistic nonsense. If the resurrection happened, then nothing else can be disputed. If the resurrection didn't happen, then nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. We can go home now. You can sleep in next Sunday. That's what Paul just said. To frame this another way, we talked last week about this word gospel. We use that word a lot, the gospel. Gospel means good news, right? That's what that word means, good news. But the headline of the story isn't Jesus died to forgive the sins of the world. The headline of the gospel, the good news isn't Jesus died to forgive the sins of the world. Because if that's our headline, maybe that's why people don't find our message all that newsworthy or all that good. I mean, think about the average person, the outsider, who you go, the good news is, here's the headline, Jesus died for the sins of the world. To the average person on the outside, that's not all that newsworthy and that's not all that good. Here's why. So Jesus died. What's new about that? We all die. Lots of people die every day. Lots of people die who offer their lives sacrificially for others every day. So? But we would then say, whoa, whoa, no. But Jesus died to forgive your sins. Jesus died to forgive my sins, you say. Well, someone who really pays attention to the story, have you been paying attention? Someone who really pays attention to the story might answer, well, didn't Jesus forgive sins before the cross? Didn't, isn't that what Jesus was doing already? Wasn't he forgiving sins? And if that's true, what good was his forgiveness of sins if death got him in the end too, just like us? How effective or authoritative was his ability to forgive sins if Jesus died like the rest of us? See where we're going here? See what we're missing? Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just the best part of the story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ 
is the story. It all comes down to this. The headline of the gospel, what makes it news, what makes it good, is this. Jesus conquers death. Demonstrating once and for all, his love is strong enough to save the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is both the exclamation point and the ellipsis of the gospel. It's the exclamation point, definitively stating the certainty of the good news about Jesus. But it's also the ellipsis, also eternally suspending the sentence of death that hangs over us. It's not just the best part of the story. This is the story. So why do we miss it? Why, why do we leave out the best part? Why do we tend to talk more, we remember more and talk more about the cross than we do the resurrection? There are three reasons I want to give you this morning. We don't really believe it, we don't really get it, and we aren't living it. We don't really believe it, we don't really get it, and we aren't really living it. First, we don't really believe it. Why don't we believe it? Why don't we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? Because let's be honest, death is our biggest, scariest adversary. I mean, death looms so large in our lives, you want to know how big and scary it is to most of us? We don't like to talk about it. You want to clear a room? You want to change the whole tone of a conversation? Start talking about death. You'll be real popular. We don't like to talk about it. We try to ignore it and act like it isn't there, right? We work hard to avoid it, even sometimes telling ourselves, we've got all the time we want, it can't happen to us. And yet, you know, despite all our efforts to convince ourselves otherwise, practically we know, right, we experience death as a constant in our lives. Death is all around us. There are two things in life that are certain. You've heard this, right? Death and taxes, the thing is, everything, even taxes, can be fixed. Everything can be fixed except death, right? The best doctors can artificially keep a heart pumping. They can keep lungs working. They can even have a mind functionally operating, but they can't artificially keep a life living. No matter how long we prolong life, it still ends in death. The best life insurance policy money can buy won't be able to keep any of us alive. Sooner or later, death comes for us all. I don't know if you're a fan of The New Yorker. Particularly, I like the cartoons in The New, in the New Yorker. Um, I, they just make me laugh out loud. And there was a few years ago, a New Yorker cartoon that was something like this. It had a picture. It pictured a middle-aged man standing in the doorway of his apartment. And there in front of him stood the grim reaper, you know, complete with a hood and a scythe. And the caption at the bottom of the cartoon read, and I was just starting to take control of my life. <laughs> Let's give it a second. We can control a lot of things in life. We can control a lot of things in life, but death is not one of them. And it's no laughing matter. As a universal constant, the great equalizer, death can cause us a great deal of fear and worry. And therefore, it's hard to believe in the resurrection. In fact, some of us have gone the other way. Rather than believe in the resurrection, some of us have decided to embrace death, right? I mean, that's like real big now. Facing such an a seemingly impossible foe, some are choosing instead to call death a friend. Death is a friend. And we encourage others to face death with peaceful resignation, 
to embrace death positively, to die a good death. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ defies any such posture towards death. Jesus' refusal to remain in the tomb is an act of defiance, confirming death as our greatest enemy. Death stands, if you will, as the end-all, be-all manifestation, the summary of what is wrong in this world and what is wrong in our lives. It is the end-all, be-all manifestation of things not being the way they're supposed to be. We are not meant to die. And deep down in our bones, no matter what you've chosen to believe or you tell yourself, deep down in our bones, we know it. We sense it, right? So much so, we feel betrayed by death. We feel betrayed by death as it begins to creep into our health and take away from our daily lives before it even takes our last breath. When our eyesight starts to go out, when our hearing isn't as great, when we can't move the same way, we don't go, oh well, death's a friend. We go, why? Why can't I see the way I could see before? Why can't I hear the way I could hear before? Why can't I go and do the things I could do before? Why is my body breaking down? We are shocked by the injustice of death when any life is cut short, any life. Any life ends. Even when someone has lived, as we like to say, a good, long life, we still grieve their absence finding it not easy but hard to live without them, even when we remain thankful for the time we shared with them on this earth, and we should, even when we remain thankful for the time we shared with them on this earth, don't we still wish there didn't have to be any limit on the time we had with them? Death is not natural. Death is not our friend. And yet, death is so big It can get in the way of us believing. We might even push back. We might even say, okay, you know, here's the thing, right? Death we know, right? All this talk of resurrection, death we know. Death we experience. We've all experienced death. Resurrection, not so much, right? Not yet, anyway. Resurrection sounds great, fingers crossed, right? But I don't have much practical experience with resurrection. I don't know what that is, but death I know. And so maybe we never would admit it in church. We maybe not even tell anybody else. Maybe as we hear this idea of Jesus being raised from the dead, somewhere in our mind, maybe just a, just a seed of a thought, we, we like Mary. Remember Mary? When she got to the grave, we think somebody took the body. Maybe we think it was grave robbery. Maybe, and again, there's a lot of us out there who are like Thomas. Maybe we say, you know what? We won't believe it until we see it. That's fine. Resurrection. I'm not believing it until I see it. Until then, you know what I do believe in is death. I believe in death. Like Thomas, we're not going to believe it until we see it. Like Mary, maybe we think, well, maybe the body just got disappeared. How can we know the resurrection is true on this side of things? If this is you, and it's totally okay if it is this morning, if this is you, what I encourage you to do is to spend some time this week doubting your doubts. Because after all, Jesus honors doubters. He doesn't reprimand Mary for having suspicions, right? And contrary to how we often tell it, Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas saying, oh, you of little faith. Jesus draws near to both Mary and Thomas and calls them by name. 
He walks up to both of them in their disbelief and says, here I am. So analyze your assumptions. I'm serious. There's a lot riding on this. Consider all the angles in the story. Remember for a moment that no one, not Mary, not Peter, not any of the other disciples, expected Jesus to rise from the dead. These people, like us, were well acquainted with the reality that dead people don't live again. So ask yourself, what short of an actual physical resurrection could have convinced them otherwise? Do some historical research. Maybe you've never done that before in your entire life. Do some historical research. Ask yourself, if those who were first there didn't really see Jesus resurrected, if it was all just a hoax or a group delusion or just a terrible misunderstanding, ask yourself, would all those who first followed Jesus have been willing to face persecution? Mental and physical anguish, for most of them a martyr's death? If it wasn't true? If Jesus hadn't been resurrected, they would have betrayed such a faith. They would have betrayed such a religion built on nothing more than what they wanted to believe, what they convinced themselves was true. If Jesus had not been resurrected, if they had not encountered him personally, they would have feared death like we do. They wouldn't have faced it so fearlessly. Have your doubts. Raise your questions. Do your research. But all the while, look and listen for the voice of Jesus calling your name, showing up right in front of you. Because if you know the story with Mary, with Thomas, with two men walking on the road to Emmaus, with the Apostle Paul, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer and his family, Jesus showed up and they recognized him. And he still works in the same way. If you're really honestly seeking, looking for Jesus, you will find him. Because after all, Jesus conquered death. Jesus lives because he's looking for you. Because he's looking for you. We don't believe the resurrection. We don't really believe it and we don't really get it. We don't really get it. We don't really get it. Jesus wasn't resuscitated, okay? When we say Jesus was resurrected, that doesn't mean Jesus was resuscitated. Jesus wasn't mostly dead and slightly alive. Jesus was a corpse, confirmed dead by the Romans, prepared for burial by several witnesses. This wasn't some near-death experience when Jesus started to go and he saw a light and they said, Jesus, it's not your time, go back. Jesus didn't see the light and then come back to life only to truly and fully die eventually, later. No, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus didn't see the light. Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness, shattered death's grip, and rose forth, hear this, to institute a new kind of life. And this new kind of life doesn't mean spirits released from our bodies. Jesus was no ghost. I ain't afraid of no Jesus, no. Jesus was no ghost. Jesus appeared with a physical resurrection body. He ate. He could be touched. He embraced others. And yet Jesus appeared in a new bodily form that was distinct from what existed before, not subject to the limits, the laws, and the corruptions of this life. And I'm really hitting this. Why this matters is because as Paul tells us here, Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits, the sign of the eternal life we and all creation were made for. 
that we can all have with our Creator and our Father. When I say we don't get it when I talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, really what I'm pointing to is we don't get the physical dimension of Jesus' resurrection. That's the part we don't get. We say, we say Jesus was resurrected. We say it, right? But we talk about Jesus living in sort of an ethereal kind of a way, don't we? We speak about Jesus more like an idea or a memory rather than as a real living person. We appeal to his teachings. We applaud and seek to emulate his example. We come to the waters of baptism or the table of holy communion in remembrance of him. We drop his name in our prayers now and again. We talk a lot about Jesus, but most of us don't actually expect him to show up in the room. And so we treat Jesus like any other loved one who has died, right? We speak of the legacy of Jesus. We talk about the character of Christ, the model of Jesus Christ, rather than the risen, living person. Beloved, Jesus isn't a philosophy. Jesus isn't a memory. Jesus isn't a character study. Christ is risen. Jesus lives And so you ask, where, where do we find the resurrected Christ? If Jesus lives, where do we find the resurrected Christ? And I say to you, turn and stare for a moment at your neighbor. Do it. I can see whether your necks are moving or not. Turn. (laughs) Turn. Turn and stare for a moment at your neighbor. Look up. Look out. Look over into the face of that random stranger who is stopped next to you waiting for the light to turn green. That random stranger who's taking your order at the restaurant you frequent. That person who stands next to you in that long line at Costco. That person who passes by you walking their dog in your neighborhood. That one who is sharing the row with you on the next time you take a flight. Look up, look over, look closely, and see the person of the risen Christ. Because you see, if you know this story, if you've read it, as the risen Christ came incognito to his first disciples, he came incognito, so he comes into our lives very often as a stranger. The living Jesus comes at unexpected times and in unforeseen ways. Frequently, he meets us where we are not looking for him at all. When we are not looking for him at all. Jesus shows up when we're not all put together, when we haven't just been praying when our mind isn't on him and when our heart even belongs to something else. My friends, understand the risen Christ comes to us. It is not we who can summon him. There is no abracadabra, rub the lamp three times, Jesus, I'm calling you now. The risen Christ, when you conquer death, you can live that way, right? The risen Christ comes to us. Jesus calls us, we follow him, and he often approaches us in the ordinary, everyday, and hear this, not particularly religious moments of our lives. Mary was getting ready for burial duties, right? She was getting ready to have a funeral when Jesus showed up. The two Emmaus-bound disciples were just walking along the road trying to get home when Jesus showed up. Peter and his fellow fishermen had gone back to work when Jesus showed up. So many Christians I, I encounter the extent of their encounter, if they have an encounter at all with Jesus, is always here. I feel Jesus. I meet Jesus when I worship, when we sing, when we pray. That's where I feel. That's where I encounter Jesus. And I'm not saying that Jesus isn't present. Jesus is here. Jesus lives. 
What I am saying is, if that's the only place you have ever encountered the risen Christ, then you don't really fully know Jesus. Because Jesus didn't say, hey, I know, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so that you can build buildings, so you can set a time, and you can get together, and that's where I'll show up. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit because he said, I want you to know where I am. I want you to have a tracker. I want you to have a lead so you can find me where I am. And you know where you're going to find me? Not in that building you build that's so nice and pretty with all those crosses that you're really quiet. You don't spill coffee on the carpet. Nope, that's not where you're going to find me. You know where you're going to find me? Not in those awesome songs that you practice so hard and you worship and you love to sing them. Nope, that's not where you're going to find me. Jesus says, you're going to find me out there. Jesus said, you're gonna find me in prisons. You're gonna find me among the poor. You're gonna find me among the people who are suffering. You're gonna find me under the people, among the people who are lost. And when you enter into those places, when you go into those spaces where there is pain, where there is fear, where there is doubt, where there is pride, where there is injustice, guess what? There I'll be, already present, already working. My friends, have you encountered the risen Christ anywhere besides this? Because this is not where Jesus makes his home. It's out there. When we recognize the risen Christ, we humbly wait for him. I mean, think about the whole orientation of church, right? I said, Jesus doesn't show up at our beck and call, but that's how we kind of live, right? Hey, it's 10.30, I showed up at church. Where's Jesus? Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's how we operate, right? Okay, I got dressed up. I got up. I got here on time. Where's Jesus? Jesus doesn't operate like that. Jesus shows up in the places, like I said, when we least expect him, where we're not even looking for him. And we recognize Christ when we humbly wait for him. It's a total inversion of how we live. Jesus shows up, meaning we recognize him. He's there when we actually open space in our lives. How many of you have no open space in your life? How many of you right now are checking the time because you got places to go and people to see? You have no open space in your life. And when you have no open space in your life, you can't recognize Jesus. You can't enter into the moment that's right in front of you. You can't receive him where he is and you won't receive him as he is. Because you're gonna be so busy and focused on your time, your calendar, your agenda, you're gonna miss experiencing the risen Christ, embracing and loving and serving your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus is in the face of the person next to you. Not just here, but out there. And there's not always, when we encounter Jesus, a voice to be heard. There's not always a vision of Jesus to be seen. Some people get very fixated. I can't hear the voice of Jesus. I don't see the face of Jesus. My friends, there's not always a voice. There isn't always a vision. But here's what there is always. There's always another hand to hold. There's always another meal to be shared. There's always another cup of cold water to offer. There's always another acknowledgement to be made of the dignity and worth of another person. And in those close encounters, the living Jesus will always be discovered, will always reveal himself. We overlook the best part of the story because we don't really believe it, we don't really get it, and finally, we don't really live it. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is nothing better for us to do than spend every waking moment of our insignificant, meaningless little lives seeking to gratify our desires while we still have them. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, party on, dude. 
Work and live for the weekend because that's all there is. Because in the end, if Jesus isn't risen, death comes oh so quick. We can't control it. It can't be fixed. So if Jesus isn't risen, then eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow you die. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, as the church has confessed since the time the apostles first placed their hands in Jesus' resurrected hands, if we, as believers and followers of Christ, are the risen body of Christ, then we ought to be living differently. We ought to be living the resurrected life now. Too many of us stop at the cross, right? Too many of us stop at the cross. We want to be loved. We want to be forgiven. We want to be saved by God at the cross. But we don't want to be changed. We, we don't want to actually walk through the tomb and die to ourselves and be transformed. My friends, Jesus didn't come here to tell us that God loves us, which he does. Jesus didn't just embrace the cross so you could know that you're forgiven, which you are. Jesus didn't put death in its grave so we could all breathe a little easier, rest assured that that death part, when it comes, will only last for a moment and then it's on to glory. God came down in Christ, offered his life for us, conquered death for everyone, and established a new life for all so we could, so we would start living that new life, sharing that abundant, full, everlasting, ever-loving life today. Jesus lives, and if Jesus lives, he's calling his people, people like you and me, inviting us to join him in living this kind of life now, his life, the resurrected life. You say you believe, you say you get it, are you living it? Are you living the resurrected life or are we just surviving as the walking dead? Do you get up and face each day like you're literally preparing for a funeral? Waiting for the other shoe to drop, afraid of what's around the corner, anticipating the worst, and therefore existing in a mood of perpetual anxiety and despair? What if? What if Jesus lives? What if his life, his resurrected life, is really yours to have? What if the Lord's strength could be found in your weakness? What if, by God's grace, you truly could rise beyond your failures? What if, through the power of the Spirit, you had another life to live today? A fuller, more abundant state of being, of joy, of peace, of wholeness that is untouchable by pain, suffering, or even death. Because resurrection life is the born-again life. It's life made whole and complete. Living the risen life of Jesus is letting Christ be born in you, entering into the fullness of life with God, this eternal life filled with endless possibilities and promises. The Bible says, Paul writes, I hope you know where I'm going, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, hear this. Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ... He or she becomes a new creation, a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. Are you still living in the past? 
Are you still living in the past because it, it shadows over you? You're haunted by what you've done, by where you've been. Are you still living in the past? Are you still living in the past because instead you're bemoaning that the best days are behind you? Oh man, the good old days, those were the best. Can't get those back again. It's all downhill from here. Is your present limited by where you've been? by what you've gone through before? Or can you today conceive a new, fresh horizon where all our dreams of a different life, all our dreams of a better world can be realized now? What if, what if you actually emptied yourself? What if you actually emptied yourself, let go of your past, and stopped trying to control the present and just faced the future as a new creation in Christ with boundless hope and endless expectation? My friends, living the resurrected life is staring death and darkness down with confidence because we know Christ has risen, has risen indeed. It's the body of Christ continuing to rise in our neighborhoods and our communities in courageous faith and witness. It's the truth being spoken, the flesh made flesh in love, this love of Jesus that loves us to death, that makes us more than conquerors, that loves us through death and beyond to life everlasting. That's living the resurrected life. You say you believe it. You say you get it. Well then, are you living it? Beloved, the story may come full circle at the cross, and indeed it does. The story may come full circle all the way east of Eden to Calvary. The story comes full circle, but the story breaks the circle, the circle of life, wide open at an empty tomb in a garden. The stone is rolled away to reveal our father is a grave robber. No, he doesn't steal the body. He snuffs out the grim reaper. Death meets its end in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, once again, we thought we were there last week, but hold on. The gospel that we make so small becomes even bigger than we imagined or hoped for. Because it's not just life after death. In Christ, it's life beyond death. Thanks to the risen Christ, the ending is always the beginning for us. The beginning of the next chapter, a new chapter of life that just keeps on being written. It all comes down to this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the best part of our story. Therefore, let us truly believe it. Let us finally get it. And let us actually start living it today.